Welcome to the Fuzzy Quality Podcast, Podcast. examining AI quality and testing topics and hosted by me, Adam Leon Smith. This is Adam Leon Smith, and today with me I've got Micah Carroll from UC Berkeley, who's a PhD student there. And we're going to be talking about Micah's recent research on evaluating robustness of collaborative agents. We're going to be talking about uh, deep reinforcement learning again. So welcome, Micah. Thanks. So I guess, first of all, do you want to just tell me a little bit about your research question? What did you set out to, to answer and what, what was your conclusion in, in this research? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we started out with a question of how can we make cooperative DeepRL agents robust? And then only later realized that we didn't even know how to properly evaluate our agents' robustness. The only way to measure it directly would be to deploy the trained agents with real humans and check for failure cases. But firstly, given that the, by definition, you don't know how robust the system you're testing is, this is potentially a safety hazard in high stakes environments. And also doing human experiments is very expensive. So there's only really so much data you can collect in practice. And in complex environments, it's likely that for any plausible sample size of participants, many reasonable edge cases would not even be encountered once during your study. So you wouldn't really be sure of the robustness of your system, even in this way. As an example, consider the process of trying to evaluate the robustness of a robot that is supposed to help a human cook. During your evaluation experiments with real humans, you might test it out of, in like a hundred, a thousand kitchens. And how likely would it be to encounter a kitchen which is like completely full of boxes or one in which there are a bunch of cats running around everywhere. Probably close to none. However, both of these are plausible situations with which we would want our system to be robust to. Together with many of our potential uh, edge cases, these will probably come up at deployment time eventually. So you wouldn't really want your system to start acting up and behaving semi-randomly. And spoiler alert, this is actually the degree of how uh, non-robust DeepRL agents are in, in our setting. So why is the system not robust? Probably because it hasn't seen these situations at training time. And one might say then, okay, why don't you just train across all possible states in the world? And firstly, most real world tasks, the state space is essentially infinite. Additionally though, one thing to note is that in human AI collaboration, uh, in many cases, what one should do to be robust is actually not just dependent on the state you're in, but also on the actions of the humans in the environment. So if an, as an AI agent, I know that people are sometimes quite slow to cross the street. To be robust to such human behavior, if I'm a self-driving car, I should slow down when people are crossing the street in front of me to be able to account for this possible edge case. However, it's clear that trying to be robust to any possible human behavior is impossible, or at least very impractical. If you assume the worst all the time and thought that all other drivers on the street were going to try to crash into you, a self-driving, like for the self-driving car, the only robust thing to do would really to just stay put, stay home in the garage. Um, and so really the bottom line here is that for human AI collaboration, what matters is not just robustness to states, but also to the human's plausible behaviors. Okay. So to, just, to, just to ask a couple of questions there. So I guess there's a concept with, with machine learning that it often works well on average, but isn't robust. And this robustness comes up all over the place from security to accuracy to all sorts of different areas of, of quality and trustworthiness of, of a system. But you're specifically looking at collaboration with humans, right? And the robustness in that, that interaction with human behavior. Have I got that right? Yes, that's right. 
great. Have you got some like great contemporary examples of, of I guess, use cases where uh, agents collaborating with humans is happening now? Yeah, so I, I generally think about it in um, more abstract terms in the sense that like almost all AI systems are collaborating with humans, at least to some degree, even right now, in the sense that at the very least, the designer that created the AI system is expecting the, this system to collaborate with them, at least in, in an abstract setting. But maybe a little bit more concrete examples that might be helpful are, um, for example, the context of video games. So I've been collaborating with Sam Devlin, Katya Hoffman, and Camille Kiosek from the DeepRL for Games team at Microsoft Research. And a lot of their work is really focused on ways in which we can use these human AI collaboration techniques to creating AIs that are fun to play with in games. Another relevant area that I've actually more recently been involved with uh, is that of recommender systems. In this case, you can think of the AI system as being your collaborator that is trying to sh uh, help you sift through the swaths of data on the internet or from your social network and give you things that ex it expects you to like. Uh, and another more obvious example, I guess, is that of self-driving cars that I guess is not quite happening right now, quite yet, uh, but- Nearly. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah. It seems pretty close. So you mentioned before that there's no real way to, to evaluate robustness without just trying lots of, of different things. And I guess in, in, in conventional software engineering and testing, and you draw a comparison to, to unit tests, we do somewhere in between in that we use specific test design techniques to detect specific kinds of logic errors that are, are quite common to... Um, explicit logic, like off by one errors are typically in loops are typically found by boundary value analysis testing. So we've got all these heuristics that are based on these these problems that we see in in, um, in explicit logic. But those, it, it's really up for debate about whether those actually work for something like uh, re reinforcement learning because of the feature space internally and the way it all works. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think like maybe there's two levels on which I can respond here. So First, imagine that instead of the normal software engineering setting, these programs that you write actually fail on half of all of the possible inputs. At that point, you don't really need any fancy rules for how to write your unit tests. You could just write five unit tests chosen at random, and you'd probably find bugs. And robustness for collaborative deep RL agents right now is so bad that that's essentially where we're at. Like even with five random tests, you're you're likely to find bad behavior. However. Getting to the second level response, of course, um, these this five random unit test strategy might not really be a good idea uh, because depending on how your state is represented, it could test for really absurd areas of the state space, which you don't actually care about. For example, I don't know, your kitchen being filled to the brim with onions, or if your states are pixels, you might just te test a random image, uh, that, like maybe it's just completely random noise. And what should an AI do in that case? Well. I don't know. Uh, in, the sen in, in this sense, like I would argue that there is a similar nuance in creating unit tests for these AI systems to that of creating unit tests for software engineering. Because as a designer, you will likely have some intuitions for which situations are both relevant and hard. Uh, and equivalently, you will have an intuition about which types of distribution you want to draw your random unit test from. This is just another way of thinking about it. And they will both require like contextual knowledge of the deployment environment. Uh, and knowledge of how these AI systems tend to work, and more importantly, how they fail, so that you can actually probe uh, these systems in the right places. 
So in this sense, it would seem quite plausible to come up with like structured unit test creation techniques, say analogous to boundary testing, also in the context of deep RL unit tests. For example, one could test agent behavior by setting states features to extremes, which however are like judged reasonable by the designer. And I feel like this isn't too different from creating a unit test for a program. You wouldn't test your function for displaying an image with a 10 terabyte image, unless you had reason to believe that you would possibly encounter this case at deployment time. Uh, so these calls as to what reasonable tests are and what effective tests are essentially happen in both settings. Um, and one thing to keep in mind that similarly to what would happen in software engineering is that however, passing all your unit tests doesn't really guarantee complete robustness as there are likely many edge cases left uncovered. So yeah, me and me, my collaborators see this technique more so as a way that is meant to get us up to 90% robustness. And once we get to 90% robustness, we'll need better, more systematic techniques to get us to the 99% in the context of DeepRL. But I was, as I was mentioning um, earlier, current robustness is really quite bad. Like quantitatively, our tests on our overcooked AI that is our like cooking environment um, that we use for, for our experiments usually pass only between 30 and 60% of the time, depending on the difficulty of the test. So there's definitely a lot of room for improvement, even with this pretty simple setup. In your research, you talked about something called theory of mind. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and how you applied it to intelligent agents? Yeah, so theory of mind is a term that is borrowed from the cognitive science literature. And my understanding is that it generally refers to the capacity of agents to model the reasoning of other agents, that is, have like a theory of how other minds work. For example, while approaching my house, I might tell you to park after the car, even if there are multiple cars. And I would do that because I know that you know which one my house is, and therefore I know that implicitly you also know which car is relevant in this context. Um, so this is a bit convoluted, but uh, yeah, this is generally what theory of mind uh, refers to in, in, the, in the literature. In, in terms of AI research, the way I've seen the expression theory of mind being used is mostly referring to a style for how one would create an agent or a human model, which is explicitly modeling how humans act, what beliefs they hold and how, like how those beliefs evolve over time and so on, or at least a subset of these things. Um, and in our paper, for example, we use theory of mind for our human models specifically. And the process of handcrafting these theory of mind human models essentially requires specifying by hand our best guess for how a human would actually interpret the current state and act in response. So one example of how this would look like in our setting is if the AI agent is headed towards a pot with an item, it is safe to assume that they will finish carrying out this task. And as a human, I should plan around this. And this is the type of reasoning that you would try to like imbue in your AI agent, or like in this case, specifically your human model. So in terms of how the human themselves would execute their action, there is also some leeway that you can like uh, embed inductive bias in. So we assume that sometimes humans make mistakes and change their mind about what task they should be doing. And all of these things are kind of encoded with learnable parameters, which you can fit to data. And clearly, all of these are extremely crude approximations for how humans would actually behave in practice. And moreover, doing true theory of mind can get computationally intractable pretty, pretty quickly, uh, because technically, this process of reasoning about statements like, I know that you know that I know, can continue on infinitely. But it turns out that even with these approximations, it can be a pretty useful tool. 
So you took some of these agents using these theory of mind techniques, and you also took some behavior cloned agents in you that were trained based on past human behavior, and you compared them. Can you tell me a little bit about the measurements you used for comparing them, the, the validation reward and the, the unit test results? In our experiments, we used two types of measurements, validation reward and our unit test success rate. In terms of validation reward, we simulate a population of humans that are test humans, um, and we evaluate our trained agent with this population of test humans in a number of runs. And this is kind of simulating the human experiment that you would uh, perform in the real world to evaluate the robustness of your agent. On the side, we also consider the success rate of our robustness tests. So essentially, how many of these situations are considered to be, that we have considered to be hard uh, for the agent, does the agent actually act reasonably in? And so that's more like a percentage of success rate. Yeah, so in our previous work, um, we find that training our AI agent with a simulated human model performs significantly better than training in self-play. That is a technique that AlphaGo, for example, uses. And in that work, we only use this simple human modeling technique that you mentioned, behavior cloning. But in this work, we were trying to see whether we could increase robustness uh, in addition to trying to evaluate it. So we wanted to try to train with uh, multiple human models and see whether that would potentially help with the robustness to different human policies at test time. Uh, additionally, we also wanted to try to vary the type of human model. So we tried evaluating both um, training with behavior cloning models and theory of mind models, as I was mentioning earlier. And it turns out that behavior cloning models themselves were not very robust. Uh, so it's not just the AI agents that you train with the human models that can suffer from lack of robustness, but even the human models themselves. And this is kind of why we introduced the theory of mind models in the first place, because even though they're crude approximations, at least given that they're rule-based and interpretable, rather than being learned with like through neural nets, they tend to be more robust. So another thing that we tried to do uh, was to vary the distribution of states that our agents were exposed to during training to encourage them to learn how to deal with edge cases better in a technique that we called diverse starts. Um, and in looking at the validation reward and the unit test results by varying training across these different dimensions, so like the human model type, the population size, and whether we use diverse starts or not, we first of all wanted to verify that we could get different information about robustness from these two types of measurements because um, that's kind of like our hypothesis, uh, like our, our main hypothesis. And on the side, we also wanted to see whether any of these training regimes uh, would, be, would have been like clearly superior in terms of robustness to the others. So maybe all of our measures of robustness would like increase by using a specific technique. And in terms of results, we did see that re the robustness information given by the validation tests and the unit tests tended to be quite independent. Um, so they do give us different information. So like while some training approaches increased validation reward, but decreased robustness success rate as measured by the unit tests, other times these metrics increased together or decreased together, or they both stayed the same. So it really depended on the specific setup and it wasn't very clear to us what kind of mechanism was behind, um, these increases and decreases, like we had some hypotheses, but it was all quite speculative. So that's definitely like one area of further work. But on the other hand, quite surprisingly, uh, we didn't really find any clear trends for which training techniques were seemed to increase the rob robustness the most. 
except for diverse starts. Diverse starts did seem to increase robustness pretty consistently across the board. So why did training with theory of mind agents not work better in your research? Yeah, so that's a good question. So for human, like for theory of mind human models, designers are manually specifying a lot more of the structure of the model, uh, which is commonly called like an inductive bias that is given by the designer, as I was mentioning earlier. So this enables to keep the set of parameters which you're trying to learn much smaller, say 30 or so, like in the dozens, uh, or maybe even less. But instead for behavior cloning, given that you're training a neural network to basically predict human behavior, you have a completely unstructured learning problem in which you have to learn tens or hundreds of thousands of parameters. So in terms of bias variance trade-off, one can think of the theory of mind agents as having a very high bias, but a low variance. And this enables them to excel in low data regimes, while the behavior cloning models will have low bias, but high variance, uh, given that they're parameterized by neural networks. And this will make them excel in high data regimes because they have more flexibility uh, to model the human behavior. And my guess is that the amount of human data that we used was actually already enough for behavior cloning to outperform theory of mind, or at least perform comparably. Um, but yeah, we have some ongoing work in which we are planning on testing this hypothesis a bit more in depth by varying the amount of human data we have access to, but that's still in, in the flux. Very interesting. Thank you. So where do you plan to take this next? Do you plan to continue researching robustness? Yeah, not robustness specifically for now. Uh, we might have some offshoot projects from this specific project at some point. Uh, but with our other collaborators, I've been working on investigating more in depth how the imperfections in human models might cause perverse incentives for the AI agents that are trained with them. So I guess it's still actually related to robustness. Um, and in particular, learned human models will only really model human behavior accurately in the areas of the state space in which there was large amounts of data to train them on. So in a competitive setting, if your human model has a certain area of the space in which there was no human data, it is reasonable to assume that it will perform poorly in that area of the state space. So if you train an AI agent with them, it will cause the AI agent to find a way to exploit this imperfection in the human model to achieve high reward. So for example, I don't know if you're playing chess and your human model for your opponent is really bad at a specific type of opening. The AI system, because there was no data that was used to train that type of opening, like humans did not actually use it in, in, the, in the data set, uh, then your AI system would exploit that uh, and uh, learn to achieve really high reward uh, on this specific, like forcing the human. Is that like, is that like reward hacking? Yeah, so essentially, it's it's. I think it's like quite related. I don't really have a clear sense in my mind of exactly the relationship. Uh, like, it's more. I don't think it's quite reward hacking. I think really what's going on here is that the dynamics are misspecified. So you can think of the other agents in the environment as being embedded as part of the dynamics. So you can think of this two agent environment as a one agent environment in which the human is just part of the transition function of your environment. Um, and in that sense, really what's going on here is that you have a misspecified um, like transition function. Uh, so like your human model is not perfect. It's not actually uh, corresponding to how humans would act in practice. Um, and so I think like this is somewhat related to reward hacking because I don't know, I think like when there's bugs in simulators and the uh, and um, the agent is able to get really high reward. 
people call that reward hacking too, but I'm not entirely sure in this case what, where it would fall. Evolving terminology. Okay, well, listen, Mika, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your research. That's been, been really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me in. Thank you.